You're listening to the Together Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more information on Together Church, you can visit our website at wearetogether.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We jumped into the series last week, A Table for Two is what we've called it. We've been looking at Psalm chapter 23. And I want to read that and just recap a little bit of last week. Um, And then I want to pick up uh, this week and discuss what kind of table we're looking at this week. And so in Psalm chapter 23, the psalmist David writes these words. He says, The Lord is my shepherd, and I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. And by the way, uh, I misread this verse last week, and I I was at home um, last Sunday night and uh, had an epiphany. Because I, I couldn't get this verse out of my head, Psalm chapter 23. Anybody else had that this week where it seems like every time you turn around? Okay, once again, just me. But it's, it's good. So I, I'm, I am mulling this verse over my head, and, and that verse popped back up of, of green pastures. And I thought, wait a second. I've been to Israel. There are no green pastures. What was David talking about? So I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. Then I went to a couple of um, scholars who I thought maybe they had a good answer And lo and behold, I found a good answer that God was not putting sheep, us, into these lush green pastures where we never have to move again. All the the sheep of Israel are herded out in the desert. The farmers do not want the sheep on their farmland during farm season because they would just eat up all the crops. And so what they would ask is for the shepherds, hey, once harvest happens, you can bring your sheep in, they can eat whatever's left, but in the meantime, take them out and graze them. And they would go out into the Judean wilderness with their shepherds, and they would walk on these mountainsides grazing. Well, if you look at it from a distance, it looks like they're eating a bunch of rocks. But what happens is water would come off the Mediterranean Sea in humidity. We know about that, right? And it would fall on these big rocks, and the water would drip down, and around these little rocks, you would get little pieces of grass. And every once in a while, as they're leading the sheep, the sheep would find a, a small piece of grass in the rock, and it would be enough to sustain for the moment. And then the shepherd would lead them to the next place. And here's, here's what I think God's trying to tell us in this verse. He's not going to put you in a place to where you can get comfortable and just eat all you want and not have to do anything and have any trust. What he's going to do is he's going to put you in some places where going, there's going to be a stem of grass, and it's enough to sustain you for the moment, but you're going to have to have the faith that he's going to get you to the next spot. And, and this, is what he's, this is what David is saying. It makes so much more sense now. And he says that he makes me lie down in these green pastures. And remember, he has to make us because sometimes we're stubborn. And he leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me down these paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup overflows. So surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I would encourage you to memorize that verse because that's a powerful piece of knowing who your shepherd is. Because you may not believe it, but the enemy has a plan for your life. He has a plan for your life. It is not a good plan. He may tell you that it's a good plan. It is not a good plan. 
He knows your weaknesses. He knows where he can attack you. He knows how he can make you collapse. And he wants nothing more than for you to get comfortable so he can have a filled day in your life. Now, when we look at verse 5 here in, in Psalm 23, he says that you prepare a table in the presence of my enemies. God did not give us some kind of window seat to the enemy, to all the pains and the hurts and the anxieties that we face. He, he's not giving us a window seat for us to watch our enemies be taken out one at a time. What he says is that the Lord, the Father, the King, has placed a table right in the midst of all these enemies. Right in them. And it's so easy for us to, for often that we would just turn over our shoulders to start paying attention to all the little voices coming around that table instead of focusing on the Father who's sitting in front of us, who has prepared this meal for us, has prepared for us to have this relationship with him. Because it's often the loudest voices come from the cheapest seats, doesn't it? Loudest voices come from the cheapest seats. That's, those are the people that are criticized. That's where the enemy sits. Jesus sits courtside because he paid the price. He paid the price. You, you ever bought cheap tickets to a game? Like, I remember one time I bought some cheap tickets to a Carolina game, which all those tickets should just be free. But we were at the game. I'm a Gamecock fan. I get it. I got it. <laughs> Maybe next year. And so we paid like five bucks for these tickets. And we go, and I felt like we had walked 10 miles up a set of steps thinking that we're almost there. And the guy's like, all right, man, about 10 more sections to go. We're going to be there. Like, what in the world have you gotten me into? We get all the way up. I am sitting on the last seat. I can hold my arm out of the stadium. <laughs> now, when South Carolina was looking for a new coach, they searched all over the world to find a brand-new coach. There was a ton of coaches sitting right beside me on the top left. They knew everything about football. They knew why we were losing. They knew why we couldn't recruit. They knew who needed to be fired. They knew who needed to be taken out. And I'm like, I don't think you guys get an opinion on this. You're sitting in a $5 seat hanging your arm out the stadium like we're not. But they were, they were the criticism, right? When you're sitting at your table, the cheap seats that the enemy wants to just yell at you, tell you how bad you are, just just breathe all up on you and speak lies to you. And, and we have grown so accustomed to hearing them and just excusing them and not taking these attacks of the enemy seriously. And what it does is it, it's detrimental to our souls. It's detrimental to our walk with Christ is because we're allowing another voice at the table. See, when he says that he's, he's prepared the table, this table is for two. It is for you and for the Father, not for you, the Father, and the enemy. But if you're not careful, he will pull that chair right up to the table and it will become a table for three. It becomes overcrowded real quick. And listen, the enemy doesn't come and throw his chair and make a scene at your table. He's, he's very crafty. Because in the snap of your fingers, he'll be sitting at that table, having a full-blown conversation with you. And have your full attention. In 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that, that the, the enemy masquerades as an angel of light, pretending to be what he's not. He, he's a liar. That's on his resume of things that he's really, really good at. He is a deceiver. The Bible calls him the father of lies. And then he wants to pull a chair up, sit at the table with us and the father, 
And he wants to take control of that conversation. Think about Genesis chapter 3 with Adam and Eve. They're, they're living in the garden. They have everything that they want. But all it took was one question from the enemy to Eve. Did God really say that? There's nothing wrong with that question. But the way that he asked it was a moment of creating doubt in her mind. Well, maybe I can just take a little bite. And how'd that work out? We, how are we doing? Aren't we direct result of that? You realize every diagnosis that we get that goes wrong, every cancer diagnosis that comes back, every time we flip the news on and we see just absolute chaos and wars taking place around, you realize we track that all the way back to that one bite. Because sometimes all it takes is one bite for everything to be destroyed. Let me tell you, all it takes is for one conversation of the enemy, one word from the enemy at the table to change everything. But I'll say this in the same breath. All it takes is one word from God to change it all. One word. And so what we've got to understand is there is an enemy who has a plan. John chapter 8, verse 44 tells us that the devil is he's gentle. He's not aggressive. He's gentle. He'll, he'll pull you in, lure you in. I think of these lions and stuff on National Geographic, how they just like casually are walking among the wildebeest. And the wildebeest at first are kind of like, mm, what's going on? Uh, they, they look like they're not hungry. We're fine. And the moment they let their guard down, what happens? Simba's gone. Like Simba takes them out. It's the, the whole thing. It's a, it's a big deal because they let their guard down. The, the devil's not, he's not gentle. He'll start that way and make you think he is, and then he's going to attack you. And the Bible also tells us in 2 Timothy that the enemy sets traps for us. The, the Greek translation is literally like he will cut a ditch in your path to keep you from moving forward. And he'll set traps based off your desires. He knows what you desire. He knows what I desire. And he will use those things to get your attention away from the things of God, to pull you away from that relationship so that he can get glory for it. It's been this war going back and forth. And we may not realize it, but if we were able for just a moment to peel back the layers of this atmosphere, we would see a spiritual war that's taking place. And then we live in, a, we live in this dream world sometimes that there's nothing happening. But there's a battle for your soul. There's a battle for your soul. And here, the enemy is not trying to be gentle. He is setting traps for you. The Bible said that he's like a lion. He just goes around like a lion, making his loud noise. And the Bible tells us not to listen to that. But he makes a noise. And the noises that he makes, all you got to do is turn the news on. Watch the news for five seconds. That's his noise. Read through social media of the negativity. That's the noise. Look at the conflicts we have between people. That's the noise. And I think if a lion came up in this place right here, I don't think that anybody would just sit there. I don't think that. Could be wrong. I would hope that you wouldn't. But you know what they say. You just got to be able to outrun the person beside you. That's it. Right? So if you go in the woods, take somebody that's just a little bit slower because that's the person that's going to get eaten. I want, to, I want to give you four things this morning. On your, um, on your handout, there's five things, um, but I'm going to give you four. And you can fill in number five. You can add anything you want in that spot. You're welcome. Um, the enemy is very strategic, and we, we have to be strategic to understand what his lies are. Like, how do we know when the enemy has pulled a chair up at our table? How do we know that? 
And I'm going to give you four ways that, and they're, they're numerous, by the way, so there's not like, here's the four things that you've got to do. No, I'm just going to give you four of these because he's very crafty. He'll, he'll create something brand new by, by morning. But let me give you four things that you need to be listening for. If you want to know, is this table for two between me and my father, or has the enemy pulled his seat up? Because the first thing that you're going to realize, one of his strategic moves, his strategic lies, is the lie of comparison. The lie of comparison. Because it won't take long when you're sitting at the table with the father before you glance over and look at somebody else's table and think, man, I really like what that table looks like. I like what they have. I wish I had that. And we start this whole comparison. It's just better at another table. In John 10, 10, he says that I have come, or the thief comes only to, listen to this, this is, this is the plan he has for you now. The thief comes to steal, to kill, and here's the one that should really bother you, destroy you. Destroy you. Now, if I told you that in our kids' area, we had everybody fill out um, applications to serve back there, and all of our children's volunteers, they all qualified, and every one of them had the gift to steal, kill, and destroy. Y'all feel comfortable about your kids being back there? Mm -mm. Now, if I said that was a security team here, like, yeah, we want those guys. They can steal somebody right out the service and do all those things. But you wouldn't put your kids in a position with somebody that you didn't trust. Why would you put yourself with the enemy who has far greater, far greater ways to, to harm? There's, there's nothing good. And see, what happens is, is when he gently brings that chair up to the table and he masquerades himself as if he has good intentions for us, he, there's no good intention. Because we're sitting there with a liar and a murderer right there at the table listening to him, hearing him. And the sad thing is that a lot of times that we will give him the time of day. Can I just tell you, he doesn't earn the time. He, he's not done anything to deserve my time, period. And so I can't give him, give him that because what he'll do is he'll, he'll start to say things is that he's come to steal, to kill, and destroy. But listen to what the Word says. Jesus says that I come that they may have life. Listen, not just life, but he's come that you may have life more abundant. And Jesus is saying, you think you're living now? Come live in the flow of the gospel and let's see what you, how, how that is. Because I have plans for you. Can I just tell you, the spirit of God operates out of abundance and the spirit of the enemy operates out of scarcity. He operates out of scarcity. The, 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 the Jesus has an abundance of everything that we could ever ask or imagine. The Lord is my shepherd, and, and because he's my shepherd, I shall not want because my shepherd operates out of abundance. Abundance. The enemy can't say that because he's having to scratch for everything he possibly can. He's at the bottom of the barrel trying to pull it because he knows how this thing's going to end and he's going to lose. So he's trying to do whatever he can to go out in a blaze of glory. Bon Jovi. And so if he can get you distracted and have you focusing on what somebody else has, focusing on the other table and not worrying about this conversation that's happening here, then the enemy's got you. He's, he's sitting at your table at this point. 
Because he's always going to tell you that there's something better at the other table. He's always going to give you these false promises. Always wanting you to think that the grass is always greener. We have that syndrome sometimes, don't we? That we think the grass is always greener on the other side. You know, the reality of that is the grass dies on both sides of the fence. And the reason that it might be green on the other side, they may have put it over a septic tank. And we're, we're struggling. I want what they have. Their table looks nice. That grass is green. How do I get that grass? And we don't realize. We don't realize that it's that we suffer from this syndrome that we feel like we have to compare everything because the enemy's telling us that we, they, they have it so much better than you do. Isn't it, isn't it true that, that Bob in your office has the better position? It seems like he gets every break in life. He's gotten the bonuses. He gets all the accolades. He's got a wall employee of the month for the last 15. And you're going, man, I wish I could be Bob. But yeah, nobody's paid me any attention. I've been in the same job doing the same thing. I haven't gotten any kind of reward, uh, award at all. And sometimes they forget to mail my paycheck. Y- y'all been there? If you work for yourself, that's not good. You should be employee of the month all the time. Or what about the person that just seems like their whole life is just put together all the time? Man, their kids are great. I, I wish my kids behaved that way. Gosh, look at this on Instagram, all these photos. and oh, It looks like they're the happiest family in the world. I wish we could have that. Don't we play that game of comparison? That I, I wish that I had fill in the blank. And, and we don't realize the grass is greener. You don't realize that probably, I mean, think, of, think about it. What if, hear me out, we have some photographers in the room. They know how those photo sessions really were. You think that those family holiday photos were one snap and everybody was smiling and happy? No, there was some um, stain remover sticks trying to get stains out of shirts. There were siblings punching each other. Mom and dad were considering divorce in that moment. They were questioning their whole lives. Is that photographers? Am I right? This is the way this sometimes goes down? Am I wrong? Because we, we look at this and we think we see this one picture and we want that, but we don't understand what we're asking for. And what the father is saying is if you'll just listen to me, You don't have to worry about comparison because I'm going to give out of abundance. I'm going to give you what you need. And and if you're satisfied, you don't have to worry about what's on the other table because you're good. So the enemy wants to to come up and and hit you with this lie of comparison. The other lie is this, is the lie that you're doomed, that it's all over for you. You just want to quit. There's no way out. You felt like that? I'm not going to make it. This is a bad season. I'm just not going to make it through this season. It's like every time I turn around, there's something. Anybody? Relationships, the, something goes wrong with your mortgage, your car breaks down, you know, your dog's sick, whatever it is. It's like I'm just, I feel like I'm doomed. Like life is bad. I'm not going to make it. I just, I just want to give up. Now, where's that thought come from? comes from the enemy. Why don't you just quit? Doesn't that happen with church? Oh, you, don't, you don't need to be around people. You're good. You can get church at home. You don't need church. Just read the Bible every once in a while. What, where does that come from? 
That's the enemy. Because what he's doing, he wants you isolated. And when you're isolated, you feel like you can't make it. Because you don't have people around you telling you the truth and cheerleading you a little bit. And he isolates us to make us feel like, hey, you're doomed. You ever had a conversation with the enemy? I can, I've had full-blown conversations with the enemy, trying to plead my case to him. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, I do. Man, nobody, nobody cares about what you have to do. You know those people are talking about you, right? You know that they don't have any respect for what you do. No, that's not true. Yeah, it is. But is it true? And then what do you think happens in my brain in this conversation? I start to believe some of this stuff. And then I start to think, I don't think I can make it out of this. This is a bad season. I've been through some seasons in life, and I'm sure you have too, that where you thought, I ain't no way through this. I don't know. If God doesn't do something, it's, this is, this is going to be a problem. And you just want to give up. You want to isolate. You want to go just stay at home, not do anything, not talk to people, not answer text messages, not nothing. Like you just want to retreat because you feel that... I'm, I'm not going to make it through this. And you just give up. And that comes from the enemy because that line of thinking will, will put you in that position of being lonely and by yourself and isolating people. In Psalm 23, he says, even though, because it's going to happen, you're going to walk through those moments and those seasons where life's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. But I want you to hear what his words are. Even though you walk through the valley... Listen, even though you walk what? No, he didn't say even though you walk in the valley. When you walk through it, it's a season. And here's the beauty of that season. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. See, the enemy wants you to think that you're by yourself. Nobody cares. I'm going to get you out here. And you're going to start wanting to give up on life. But here's what the shepherd's saying. No, you're not. Because I am with you. I am with you through the hard times, and I am with you through the good times. There, there's this point that where we think, is God really with us? Because I've been there too. You have too. You, we've asked questions. Where are you? Are you not paying attention to what's going on in my life right now? And we've been there, and we've pleaded with God. We've had these conversations with God. That I just want to give up. Where are you? But did God move? He's always been there. It reminds me of the story of the couple when they first met. They were driving the pickup truck with the one seat in the front. And when they started dating, she would sit right here beside him and his arm was around her and they would drive. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Y'all see these people in the squatted trucks. And um, God, please bless, bless these people. And over time, they separate. They get married and they grow older together and then he's sitting on the driver's side and she's in the passenger's side and one day she looks over and goes, why don't you sit beside me like you used to? And he said, well, darling, I never moved. You did. Isn't that our relationship with God? That over time we get so comfortable that we will move away from him and we're not, we're not with him. See, he says that when we walk through this valley, it's a season, don't give up. I'm with you. It may not go the way that you think it's going to go, 
But he says, I'm with you. I'm with you. The, the, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, because we have to be reminded sometimes, do you not realize this about yourselves? And he's talking to the Corinthians who are very corrupt. And he says, do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? You're not alone. As believers, we're not alone. He lives and dwells within us. He's closer than we think we are, than he is. He is with us. And I think sometimes that we have to be reminded, the enemy will say, man, you just need to give up. It's over. You're not going to make it through this. And, and Paul's saying, no, 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 listen, 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 listen. Do you not realize that Jesus lives within you? He's the good shepherd. And because he's the good shepherd and because he lives with me, I will fear no evil because he is with me. His presence is everything. He says in Psalm chapter um, 77, verse 19, it, it tells us that your road led through the sea, your pathway through the mighty waters, a pathway that no one even knew was there. We didn't know how we we're going to get out of this. And the psalmist says, but there was a path that was already there that we didn't know about. God's going to take you down places that you don't know where it's going to go. But there's a pathway. And he's the one that knows it. His words, a light into our, a lamp into our feet and a light into our path, is it not? And he says, you don't, you don't give up. You may not see the pathway, but the Lord sees the pathway. There's hope on the other side. The enemy is going to tell you everything that is opposite of that. And if you hear that telling you that, hey, it's better at the other table or you're not going to make it, you have a third party at your table. Here's the other thing. There's a lie of worthlessness. He's going to attack your worth. You ever had this thought of, am I good enough? You think about that. Am I good enough? Maybe somebody told you at some point that you weren't good enough. Maybe, maybe a spouse walked away from you. Maybe a parent bailed out on you. Maybe you wish that you, you had had this relationship with somebody and, and they didn't. And you just felt like you just weren't good enough. Your job told you you can't work here anymore. Friends walked away from you and you, and you had this thought that I'm not good enough. Can I just tell you that the not good enough anthem was composed in the pits of hell. That's where it came from. And you need to remind yourself of that when the enemy is sitting at that table questioning everything about your worth. Are we good enough? Because wouldn't you agree with me that when somebody tells you that in some way, shape, or form that you're not good enough, it's crippling, isn't it? It's crippling. I remember somebody telling me, you'll never be a good lead pastor. It's like, man, probably right. Probably right. I had that thought all my years of ministry. You'll never be a good youth minister. I was a good youth minister. There are a lot of rules written because I was a good youth minister. Who knew you couldn't throw basketballs in the new hallway of the new building? I didn't know that. We do now. If you, if you feel that you're not good enough, the enemy is whispering that to you. He's making you question everything. 
And we allow our experiences of, with people and people that have walked out and have told us things, we allow those things to stick when the gospel is screaming so much louder that, no, you are good enough because of my blood, because of my death, my burial, and my resurrection. And I think we often forget that the Holy One has invited us to this table. He's prepared it. He's fixed the meal for us. He has pulled our chair up for us. And he has paid the bill on the bill. So who's this creep in the enemy thinking that he can just pull up to the table and start questioning everything about me and, and what my worth is? But this is what he does. I mean, if you feel that way, that you're not good enough, Here's when, this will be my suggestion to you, because I have to do it often. I have to pick my head up and look across that table and look in the face of Jesus. And I don't see a frown on his face. I don't see a mad face like he's disappointed with me. You know what I see? It's scarred hands and scarred feet from where the nails went in. Just reminding me that he thought that I was good enough to be with him, to have relationship with him. And here's the the fourth lie the enemy will tell you is that, that the world's against you. This is the lie of me against the world. When you believe that everybody's against you and you convinced yourself that everybody hates you, nobody likes you, well, that came from the enemy. And he'll do it. He'll do it. You'll, you'll start to think everybody at my job hates me, everybody in my family hates me. Everybody in our community hates me. My spouse hates me. I think my kids hate me. I'm not even sure my cat likes me anymore. That's, we'll get to that point where I think everybody is just against me. Maybe you've been around those people. There's always somebody out to get them, right? And the enemy's great at sowing seeds of doubt. Because he loves mistrust. He, he, it encourages when we, we have this fear-based logic that everybody's against me, everything's not right. It encourages us to mistrust everybody. Because if I, if I think that they're against me, then this person must be against me too. And we'll start writing these false narratives about people and we'll quickly isolate ourselves. And we'll start binding things that aren't true. You think about this. Because we may not say, I feel the world's against me or I feel like these people are against me. But maybe here's some phrases that you've used. Well, that person didn't even look up when I walked into the room. Y'all thought that one? You don't have to admit it out loud. But if you thought that one, man, they didn't, even, they didn't even acknowledge that I was here. Now, that quickly gets into your brain. They must be upset with me. I had somebody tell me that, hey, man, I texted you this week. You didn't text back. Did you? What day? Thursday. Let me look through my text messages. Oops, sorry. Didn't see it. Are you sure? Everything good? Positive. Had 87 unread text messages on my phone. Positive. I'm not upset with you. And then they begin to counsel me on my text messages of how I shouldn't let that many pile up. So if you haven't gotten a text response from me in the last week, I'm not mad at you. I love you. I'm not against you. Or, or maybe you see people talking and you think, I bet they're talking about me. I bet they're saying something about me. It's, it's the mentality of me, me against the world. Like everybody's coming down on me. All my friends do stuff without me. They don't ever invite me to do anything. I've heard this one a thousand times. 
They never invite me. They go on all these trips and they go and they play whatever and they fish together and they go shoot birds together and they, you know, they're going to watch the Super Bowl together. Nobody ever asked me. They must not like me anymore. And it could just be that every time they did, you, you were just busy. Right? Could be. They might be talking about you. Might be planning your birthday party. Probably not. They're probably just talking about you. But the truth is, it's possible that somebody doesn't like you. Well, thank you, Robbie, for that encouragement. The truth is, there's probably people that don't like you. Can I just tell you that God can't please everybody? There are people that are praying for rain today. And there are people that are praying for sunshine. Somebody get, somebody's praying for Cincinnati to win tonight. And somebody's praying for L.A. to win tonight. Guess what? Somebody ain't going to be happy with the results. Can't please everybody. Right? So chances are somebody doesn't like you. But it's not likely that everybody is against you. It's not likely. And what happens is that when people have hurt you and you feel like people are against you, you have this defense mechanism where you want to be the first one to throw the punch. If, you, if it comes down to that, that you want to be the one that, that you want to slight them before they slight you. You want to leave the relationship before they leave the relationship because you're so concerned. And we will sabotage relationships out of fear-based logic that we think that somebody's against us. And we will completely walk away from relationships because of that. And we will destroy what is good and what is healthy and what is great. And we will destroy it because we will let the enemy come in and say, are you sure they like you? Man, they talk, they're talking over there. It's probably about you. They didn't invite you to this. The truth is that you need to allow the shepherd to lead you by the still waters and not worrying about what's happening around you. Because when you live under this model, this defensive model that everybody's against me, you are not led beside the still waters. And remember, the reason that they would put the sheep by the still waters is because if they were in the rough rapids, their wool would get caught up in the water and just throw the sheep in the water and drag it on down the, the river. So you need to find pastors. You can't reflect on the bounty of all that's on the table if you're walking around with your fists clenched, worrying about people being against you. You can't do it. Psalm 23 says this, that you anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. I thought that was a weird verse in there. We, we got these, I trust God, I, God's my shepherd, he's put the enemies uh, around me so I can eat, I get all that, I get the green pastures, I get the still waters, I get the restoring my soul, I get him leading me down these paths, but this anointing my head with oil thing kind of threw me off because I was like, what does that have to do? But what shepherds would do is their number one enemy of the sheep, believe it or not, was not lions and bears, it were flies. And what would happen is the flies would make themselves a home and lay eggs up into the nose and the facial pieces of the, of the sheep and would cause irritation and would embed themselves in their nasal passage. Right? You ever had that problem? And the shepherd would anoint with oil to cover the head with the oil because the oil would clear all that stuff out so that they wouldn't have to have these parasites growing within them and getting on the inside. See, what, what, what God's trying to tell you is that he wants to anoint your head with the oil 
to keep these thoughts from getting in your head because the devil wants nothing more but to tell you these things and tell you that you're worthless and tell you you're not good enough and make you think everybody's against you. And what he's saying is I'm trying to give you an anointing. I can't give you anointing if you don't sit still. If you're worried about this table and that table and this table and all these other things that are happening around you and you're worried about the enemy and you're not looking with me, if you look at me, I will anoint you. I will mark you. I will prevent these thoughts from getting into your head and letting them to, to go crazy. That Paul says that we take captive every thought that comes in. Every. And we make it obedient to Jesus. So God, through his word, wants to protect you from the aggravation and from the lies and from the deception of the enemy. But it only comes at his word. And you're going to get that at the table. He has set the table for us to sit. You tracking with me? The table allows you to change the narrative from everybody hates me to everybody's against me is that God is for me. And there's nothing better than these words that God's got my back. He fights our battles for us. All we're called to do is to be obedient to the things that he's asked us to do. That's it. And that all happens at the table. Jesus didn't send a messenger to tell us how valuable we are. Jesus didn't send a messenger to tell us how valuable we were. Jesus came himself and showed us how valuable that we were. When he came and, and he, he dies on this cross and he, he comes himself. And now this same person, this king, is sitting across the table from us and calling you a son and the daughter of the king. And is telling you that you're worth it. You're worth it. Now, there's humility in that because you can, you can balance this the wrong way and think, look at me, look how great I am. There's a humility in it of understanding I'm good enough for this relationship, but the Holy Spirit's got some work he needs to do within me to make me more like Jesus. So the Bible tells us that the Father's words, in John chapter 6, 68, it says the Father's words are words of life. When, how do I know if the enemy's at the table? Well, God's speaking words of life over us. He's not calling anything to make us question who we are in him. He's not doing that. He's not questioning the worth. He's not making you think that everybody's against you. He speaks words of life. In Psalm 68, he says that his voice thunders from the heavens. Thunders. When he speaks, things happen. They happen. And they happen for the better of, of the kingdom when he speaks. So we've got to recognize his voice. His voice will drown out every enemy lie. And I want to tell you this morning, the enemy's voice is drowned out when we start letting the Father speak and have this conversation. And we can kick the table and kick the enemy in the leg underneath the table to make him leave. Because he has no place at the table. And so this morning, I, my, my thing is that I worry about all of us, and myself included, that sometimes we, we allow the enemy to come and sit, and we've gotten comfortable with him sitting there. And we're thinking it's not a big deal, just whatever. But there's, there's those little things that keep hitting, that keep coming in your mind, that keep tripping you up, that keep bringing aggravation. Those aren't of God. And he's going to keep doing that until you finally give in. It's time to tell him to leave the table. And can I tell you that if we have Jesus living in us, he is giving us this power. In Jesus' name, we can remove him from that table. But you've got to be ready to do that. You've got to acknowledge 
that there's an enemy sitting at your table. We're going to close here in just a second, and we're going to, we're going to sing. But one of the things that we've got to understand about this table is there was a sacrifice for us to be able to sit here. That, that we're, we're communing with God because of what he's done. And so on your chair, and if you're in the bleachers, there's a, a bowl with a table. But today, we're going, we're going to take communion together because this is the price that was paid for the seat at the table. And I'll just tell you, the enemy did not pay this price. He's just worked his way down from the cheap seats. And the Bible tells us that in Revelation that you and I overcome the enemy by two things. By the blood of the Lamb and by the word of our testimony. What Jesus has done for us. And today, we take back our seat at the table with the Father. And we're going to decide, is there an enemy sitting here right now? Because I can tell you, after last Sunday, I got home, I'm sitting in small group, and I heard the chair screeching across the kitchen to the table. And he just sat right up. And I heard this voice, see, told you. And I let that go in my head for a couple of days. And then, well, for a day, and then Monday morning, I, I had some time with God and took some communion. And I looked at the enemy and said, see, I told you. It's taken care of. So today we're going to take communion as we sing. You can pray, examine your heart, ask God, where, where have I allowed the enemy in to sit at the table? What lies are being spoken that aren't true? You may have something that's completely different from what I've given you. You, you may have something very specific. I want you this morning to pray, ask God, examine that. Confess your sin. Thank him for his blood and remove the enemy from the table. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you so much for who you are. I thank you for your word. Thank you for being a good shepherd. And this morning, we're going to take communion together as we sing. I just pray that our hearts would be examined. And God, that we would fully embrace what you've done for us. And I pray these things in your name.